0: 90% of Gen Z wants their workplace to make a difference. And when they choose a job, they find the value in finding a company that is dedicated to making a positive impact on the planet. The calling card of someone who is in Gen Z is they have a deep desire to matter. They want to make a difference, to change the world. This shows up in the jobs we pursue, the things we buy, the decisions we make. For example, when buying something, Gen Z is way more likely to buy a product if the company values something that helps the world. This is why companies like Patagonia, who donate a lot of their profits to climate change, are so popular. For those of you that I haven't got the chance to meet yet, my name is Derek and I'm the pastor here of Kai Alpha. And something that you need to know about me is I am known as a cusper, which means I was born right in the middle between being a millennial and Gen Z. It could go either way depending on what website you look at. And I've always wanted to identify with Gen Z, even though I get made fun of for saying that by Gen Z. People are like, no, you're too old. You have kids now. No, I'm Gen Z, okay? And there's a reason why. I've always had a deep burden to change the world. This mattered so much to me that when I was 12 years old, I made up my own slogan and made this my profile picture on Facebook. That says, how hard is it to change the world? Yes, you see I'm wearing a beanie looking off in the distance at I don't know what, but that's good. You'll also see him a little prepubescent, no mustache hairs yet, still working on that someday though. (laughs) See, that's a cheesy, it's backwards, and I was taken on my iMac like photo booth app, which as I'm saying, I realize makes me seem older and not like a Gen Z person. I shouldn't have gave that part. Oh, I just saw people like nod, like yes, you are old. Anyways, it's fine. But this shows what that deep inside of 12-year-old Derek was this desire to change the world. See, we as a people, we Gen Zers, besides my wife, Taylor, because she's a year older than me, so she's definitely millennial. But anyways, the rest of us here, we want to change the world. We want to make the world a better place. We want our lives to count, right? You want what you do with your time on the earth to make a difference and to make the world as good as possible. For people who do not follow Jesus, this stems from a sense of maybe love for like future generations, of wanting to maybe leave a legacy to just be a good person, Maybe to be member, but there's something inside of people, even if they don't follow Jesus, that wants to leave the world better than they found it. For people in here who follow Jesus, though, this kind of goes about seeing a future and wanting that to become our present reality. What I mean by that is Jesus promises us that he is going to come back one day and set every wrong right, and life will go back to the original design. See, Jesus promises us that there's a beautiful future in front of us, that life will be like the Garden of Eden or the original creation. But we don't wanna wait. We want that promised future, that glorious future to happen now. We wanna go back to the future. Tonight we're finishing our sermon series, Journey of a Lifetime. We spent these first four weeks of the year looking to the life of Jesus and how he invites us to go on a journey of a lifetime with him. When Jesus lived, he had a lot of different friends we read about in the Bible, but there's this one family that he was really, really close to. They were practically his best friends in the whole world. And this family consisted of two sisters, Mary and Martha, and then they had one brother whose name was Lazarus. While Jesus was walking around doing his thing with his disciples, he hears word that Lazarus is sick and he's dying. Mary and Martha reach out to Jesus and say, please hurry to our hometown of Bethany so that you can heal our brother. And Jesus hears this urgent request and decides to wait a couple days. He's like, eh. I'll get to it eventually. My friend's dying. Yeah, hey, I'll figure it out. It'll be fine. All is good. Eventually Jesus sets off to Bethany to see this family, and in this counter we see what it looks like to go on a journey of a lifetime with Jesus. It says this in John chapter 11. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb 4 days. So Lazarus died while Jesus was napping, Lazarus died. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary, she remained seated in the house. So Martha comes out to Jesus, and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, he will give you. Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. Martha says back to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she says to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, that you're the son of God who's coming into the world. Our sermon title tonight is Journey Back to the Future. Let's pray. God, we pray that we can just meet with you tonight, Jesus, that you can stir a hunger inside of us to make this life count for you, Jesus. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. All right, the hit movie, Back to the Future, tells the story of Marty McFly. Marty is sent back in time, and he's walking around the 1950s. He meets his dad and his mom, and I think his mom starts hitting on him. It gets kind of weird. I wish I would have had time to watch it again this weekend, but twins. Anyways, things get a little crazy. Long story short, Marty, the whole movie is about him needing to get back to the future, which is his present-day reality. He needs to go back forward. It makes sense if you don't think about it. He needs the future to become his present. That's the whole premise of the movie. And that is actually what Martha is desiring as well. She wants the promised future to become her present day reality. See, Lazarus dies and Martha goes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, if you would have been here, you could have saved him. I love the honesty she has with Jesus. We'll talk a lot about that in a second though. So Martha says this to Jesus and Jesus says, he will rise again. But then Martha jumps to the future In her mind. And she says, yeah, I know he'll rise again at like the end of times. Basically, she's saying, I know the teaching that all people who are the people of God, at the end of days, we're going to rise again with God. She like gives the good Christian answer. Like, yes, I know it'll all work out in the end, Jesus. Jesus comes back and says, girl, I'm the resurrection in the life here right now. Life is found in me. Jesus is trying to disrupt this woman's reality. But she doesn't get it. Because Martha's convinced that the only way to get a taste of the future to get a taste of this resurrection life is she has to wait until the end of days. But deep down, none of us want this, right? Deep down, we want that perfection now. See, Martha is obviously grieving. She just lost her brother. And I imagine this conversation, Martha's like, yes, Jesus, I know that he will rise again at the end of the day, but that doesn't change the fact that I'm sad right now. Martha's saying, I just want my brother back right now. I want it to be in the future now. Right, if you've went through something hard, maybe you've experienced it, maybe you've lost someone, and if you're a Jesus follower, you know the good answers that you'll be able to be with them in eternity. But that doesn't make it any easier in the moment, right? Even though we're told like, "Oh, it'll all work out in the end," that doesn't help when you're sad and grieving, right? So Martha's meeting with Jesus, saying, "I understand the reality that all's me good in the end, but I'm still sad right now. I want my future and my present to be synonymous." What Martha doesn't realize though, is that Jesus is saying to her. Martha, 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 you don't have to wait until the future to have resurrection life. She's like, I am resurrection life, and I'm not just in the future, I'm right in front of you. Jesus is telling her that I can bring that future to the present. See, if all that Jesus cared about was the future, all he would care about for us is getting us into heaven, right, in like our eternity. And if that was true, if that's all Jesus cared about was getting you to heaven, the story would have ended right there. Martha says, yes, there's hope because one day Lazarus is going to rise again. And Jesus would have said, yes, that's true. At the end of time, everything will be good. Yay, we have future hope. But the story does not stop there. See, Jesus makes his way to Lazarus's tomb, and it says this in John 11, 39 through 44. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, says to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he has been dead four days. She's like, Jesus about to stank, okay? You don't want to open up that tomb, I promise you. And I've been changing a lot of diapers lately. You don't want foul smells, okay? I bet my kids' diapers have to smell worse than that tomb. But anyways, pray for me. Jesus says to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? He's like, don't worry about my nose, okay? I got it. I can figure it out. So they take away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I say this on account of the people around me, that that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with cloth. And Jesus says, unbind him and let him go. The man who died came back. I think we can read stories like this. like, Yeah, Jesus raised someone from the dead. He's Jesus. That makes sense. No, that's a big deal. There's a dead guy, and then he wasn't dead anymore. Imagine that happening right now. We'd all be a little freaked out, right? Like, no, you made that up. That's definitely Photoshop, or I guess you can Photoshop the, the big video editing. Anyways, that's not important right now. The dead man came back to life, and what this is proving to us is that Jesus doesn't settle for future hope. Jesus wants your hope to be in the present. Jesus doesn't just care about your future. He cares about your present day reality. Jesus wants to bring that future beautiful, hopeful life that we can have right now. Jesus wants to bring us back to the future. The whole idea of today's talk is very, very simple. I want you to understand this. Jesus does not just care about your eternity. He also cares about your present Following Jesus is not just about getting out of hell. It's way more than that. See, if the present didn't matter to Jesus, he would have left Lazarus in the grave. But this story is showing us that's just not true. He's saying we can live into resurrection life right now. God is way bigger than a get-out-of-hell-free card. Jesus is not a get-out-of-hell-free card. Jesus is not just focused on getting us out of hell. He also wants to get the hell out of us. I know that sounds crash. Like, what does that mean? There's hell inside of me? Hold up. I know. It's going to illustrate a point. Just roll with me. See, we have things, or at least I have some things in my life that aren't godly. There's things inside of me, things going on around me that aren't really heavenly. They're a little bit more hellish, if I'm honest. Again, maybe just me. But see, Jesus sees that. Jesus sees that clearly the world around us isn't right. Jesus sees things like sickness and cancer and hunger and war, oppression. All these things that are showing us that the world has changed from the original design that's illustrated to us in the Garden of Eden. The world is not the way God wants it to be. One scroll through TikTok could prove that reality, right? Or X, formerly known as Twitter, Sin has taken hold of the world. But Jesus hates that. The bad things that have happened to you in your life, the things that have caused you the most pain, things that have caused you brokenness, Jesus isn't happy about them. I think sometimes, specifically as a Christian, we think, well, everything happens for a reason, so I just gotta act like it's all good and act like everything's it's okay. Jesus will use the broken things in your life to make something beautiful, Jesus will use the worst things that happen to us to create something beautiful, but Jesus didn't want you to have to go through that. Jesus' original design was not for you to go through a bunch of pain in order to be formed into his image. No, Jesus had a better way, but we chose sin. All to say that if some bad things have happened to you in your life, Jesus is not happy about that. That breaks his heart. What breaks your heart breaks Jesus' heart. Jesus wants to not just change the future. He wants to change our present world and get the hellish things out. When we recognize that, that completely changes the goal of following Jesus. If Jesus would have stopped at saying Lazarus will be raised in the future, the complete goal of being a Christian would be to achieve that future resurrection, to get out of hell. But when Jesus decided that the present day mattered and he went and raised Lazarus from the dead, Jesus is shifting our goal as Jesus' followers from living a resurrection life in the future to living a resurrection life right now. Like, okay, I think I get that. That makes sense. But how do we live a resurrection life right now? That sounds kind of like, I was gonna say fanatical, but I don't think that's correct. I wanted to say like a fantasy world. But we have to answer this question. How can we live a resurrection life now? How can we go back to the future? And this is where this idea of discipleship or spiritual formation is going to come in. So Jesus didn't just come to earth to die for our sins. That was a huge part of it. Hear me. That's a huge part of it. But Jesus didn't stop there. Again, that's just about our future hope, where we end up when we die. Jesus cares about our current life. So not only did Jesus come to die for our sins, he also came to earth on a mission to pour his life into 12 men who would go and spread the good news of what he did for the rest of the world. Jesus only spent one day of his life dying for our sins, right? He spent the other three years of his time in ministry pouring his life into his disciples. Jesus' time on earth was completely focused on making disciples, The New Testament or the part of the Bible that talks about the time of Jesus and the early church, it was written in the Greek language. And our English word disciple comes from this Greek word matateus. Say matateus. Matateus. Say it three times fast. That's good, there's some confidence up in the front row. They're like matateus in the name of the Lord, amen. (laughs) It's good, you learned something. You learned a little bit Greek. So this word matateus in the Greek The best translation of it is actually not the word disciple, but apprentice or learner. Think about in the old times, like you guys know like blacksmithing, maybe if you played like Skyrim, which is an old video game, like I'm showing myself as a millennial again, I got to stop. Anyways, blacksmiths are people like made swords and they would have apprentices or people who would learn underneath them in order to eventually do what they did. So you spend and you train and you learn under them to eventually have that job. This is what the disciples were doing. They were apprentices under Jesus, learning what it looked like to be like Jesus. So then when Jesus left, they could be like Jesus to the world. The whole goal of the disciples was to become like little Jesuses that would spread around the world. This was the goal of the disciples, and it's still our main goal today. If you follow Jesus, the reason you exist is to be a little Jesus to the world around you to apprentice under Jesus, to learn the things that he did and to start to be like him and to let him to start to form you into his image. Whether we recognize it or not, we are all being formed. Culture, TV, music, family, friends, all these things form us, right? I talked a lot about Taylor Swift. I can't remember if that was last week or the week before, but she has deeply formed me, okay? I feel like I'm a Swifty now, and it's changed me from a man to Something else entirely. (laughs) See, these things around us, they form us and shape us into who we're becoming. Your family, friends, what you watch, what you listen to, they kind of shape you into a person. Our lives are just a combination of all these influences. And our task as Jesus followers is to see all these influences and to kind of turn them down and to turn up Jesus so that he's our biggest influence. That way, Jesus will be the main one who's forming us. This is this process called spiritual formation. Spiritual formation is just being formed by Jesus to be like Jesus, apprenticing under Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus. Again, making our present-day reality more like the future hope we have where we live like Jesus now. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This is the goal of following Jesus, to be transformed, to be more like Jesus. As we behold the glory of God, we will be transformed to be more like him. So I want you to imagine it this way. Imagine that your life with God is a painting, all right? And the end goal is for this painting to be a beautiful masterpiece that honors God. So your life's this painting, and as you are formed and go through life, different things are painting on this painting, making who you are, and we as Jesus followers want this painting to be a masterpiece honoring to God. And here in Kyle World, we believe there's six like paintbrushes, that, six tools we can use that will create the beautiful picture that will honor God. There's six things we can do to be formed to be like Jesus. So I'm going to teach you for a second. Is that all right? We're going to go through these six things, these six elements to help you be like Jesus. First, we must know God. This is all about getting to know who God is, becoming intimate with him. This is the foundation. If you want to be a follower of Jesus who's living in the resurrection life right now, it starts with knowing God. Having a personal relationship with him where life's not about ritual but relationship. Remember we talked about that last week. The best way we do this is through spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines, doing things like reading the Bible, praying, sitting in silence and solitude. DTC is all about this. It's going to help you know God. I highly, highly encourage you to sign up for discipleship training class. I know i be like, I've got a lot of classes. Why would I want to take another one? This one's free, okay? Your classes cost a lot more. Victor doesn't charge anything except like a high five in the way in. Actually, Victor probably wouldn't like that. He'd rather you like wave from a distance. Take this class and see what God could form you to help you know him better, all right? Second, so no God and then no self. No God, no self. Meister Eckhart, who is probably a German man, says this, no one can know God who does not first know himself. No one can know God who does not first know themselves. What it means to know selves is means we start digging a little bit deeper into our lives. We start to understand the deep things that are happening inside of us and how they change us. We process why we are the way we are. Have you ever asked yourself that question? Why am I the way I am? That question gets send you on a lot of rabbit trails. That'll be very good for you. Why am I the way I am? What made me this way? As we get to know ourselves, we look inside to see the things in our life that aren't pleasing to Jesus, and we try to kind of get rid of those and begin this journey of making our inner life pleasing to God. Before we can be formed, we have to know what's already there, what we're working with. So we know God, then we know self. Third, we find friendship. Formation is impossible by ourselves. We have too many blind spots. We need a small community like a small group, maybe, would be another way to word that. Of brothers or sisters that push us onwards towards Jesus. We need people to call us higher. I don't know about you, but I make some mistakes sometimes. And sometimes I don't know them because I'm really confident. I'm like, no, I, I promise I'm right. And I need someone to say, no, you're not right. I promise you. I need people to call me higher. Uh, we also need people to have fun with. Life with God should be full of joy. I hope you've got that the first few weeks at Chi Alpha. Life with God should be joyful. And community is where this happens. We find friendship in small groups, so please get plugged into a small group. No God, no self, find friendship. Fourth is find freedom. Sin can enslave us, the Bible's very clear about that. And Jesus offers us forgiveness from our sins. But we also want freedom, right? We don't want us to be forgiven from our sins. We want to be set free from our sins where so we don't keep doing the same things over and over again. If we want to be formed, and again, that's what these six paintbrushes, these six elements are doing is they're helping us be formed to be like Jesus. The way we are formed in the image of God and start living like him means our lifestyle actually changes and we run away from sin. I want you to imagine that Jesus is over here and sin is over here. As we run towards Jesus, we have to run away from sin. You can't be running towards both. Right? So the best way to find freedom is to run towards Jesus, but we'll get to that in DTC as well. All right, fifth is live mission. God created us to live on purpose. We discussed that tonight, that we wanna change the world, right? Matthew 29, 19 says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. This is our call as Jesus followers. We aren't called to sit on the bench. No one in Caiaphas sits on the bench. We believe that we all have this call over our lives to make disciples of all nations, to help other people be little Jesuses. We are to love Jesus and help our friends love him. We live on mission. Finally, the sixth element of what we call the discipleship pathway is live service. So no God, no self, find friendship, find freedom, live mission, live service. These six elements help you be formed, be like Jesus. Living service comes from the idea that our life isn't about us. Jesus is clear throughout his teaching that we are to live to lower ourselves to exalt other people, that we're going to be servant leaders, all right? So those six elements, no God, no self, find friendship, find freedom, live mission, live service. If you want to be formed to be like Jesus and want you to live resurrection life right now, do those six things. I promise you that if you will do those six things, you will start to live a life that looks like Jesus. And the reason we do this is not out of obligation or like I just have to be a good Christian now. What I'm telling you is that there is a life that God is offering to us that is so much better than anything else we could ever ask for. If you're struggling with that brokenness or feeling like this can't be it, there's a way to finding hope in Jesus and living a resurrection life now. But it doesn't usually happen in an instant. We don't usually wake up one day, yes, I'm deeply in love with Jesus now and deeply fulfilled. Thank you, Lord, for that great Kai service. My preaching is not that good, I promise you. That's not gonna do it. We need to go on this period of time, this journey Spiritual formation. DTC and our next sermon series are all about these elements, so I don't expect you to know all of them right now and have all that, but I just want you to get this big idea that Jesus doesn't just care about your future, He cares about your present. All right? Make sense? You guys alive? Amen and amen. I got a couple of some feedback, but yeah, amen. Let's keep going. All right, let's go back to our story. I want to answer this question of how do we start the process of spiritual formation? You get it now. You're like, okay, I want to live in resurrection life. But what does that actually mean? Well, in order for Jesus to form the real us, we need to give him access to the real us. Both Martha and her sister Mary, they come and they confront Jesus. They both tell Jesus, Jesus, if you would have been here, our brother Lazarus would have been okay. We already read about Martha's interaction with Jesus. Let's read about Mary's. It says in John eleven thirty two. 32. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and she saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. We got to get this picture. I want you to imagine that you're one of Jesus' disciples, one of his closest friends, and you're following him. And you're going to this town where you know Jesus had these bu- this buddy who passed away, and you're kind of confused why you didn't come earlier. But are like, I guess we're coming now. We'll see what happens. And as you're walking with Jesus, you see this woman start like storming at you. And she's like powerfully walking towards Jesus and like looks at him and says, Jesus. There's a little bit of sass behind her. Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And you're like, what is happening right now? Why is this woman sassing Jesus? I thought he was God. Maybe he's not. Maybe she's God. I don't know. This is kind of scaring me. She's a blunt lady. And so you see one sister, and then her and Jesus have this interaction, and she's like, resurrection life, and walks away. You're like, okay, that was kind of weird, but we'll keep going. And then you see the second sister walk up, and she walks up, and she just, like, collapses at the feet of Jesus and just starts, like, bawling. You got to picture this, all right? She wasn't just, like, have a tear trickle down. No, this is, like, snot running Tears bubbling up, kind of smells funny, that really gross cry. You know what I'm talking about. You've all seen that gross sobbing cry that we all feel too uncomfortable to say anything about because, like, they're crying, so they're sad. So I probably shouldn't say I feel a little grossed out, but I'm a little grossed out. Here's a tissue. Do I give it to you now? Do I wait until you're done crying? Who knows? Because the snot's falling, right? Imagine the snot from the lady falling on Jesus' feet. You're like, it's it's the God's feet. But what do I do? Do I clean it? Do I walk away? Do I run? I would run because I like to avoid conflict. But anyways... So you're like, what is happening right now? You would have been so confused. You're like, okay, Jesus is a male religious teacher in a very patriarchal society. He used to be respected at all costs. And these two women, and in that time period, women would not have been allowed to interact with men in the same way. Not, that's not good, but that's the way it was. Okay, don't get mad at me. That's just the way society was. So these women come up to this male, and they start either like rebuking him or like s- slobbering on him. You'd been real confused. Well, I think something that's beautiful about this story is it shows us the character of Jesus because how does Jesus respond in that moment? He loves them. He meets them right where they're at. This is showing us that Jesus does not expect us to clean up before we come to him. We don't have to act like we, all have, we have it all together. When we come to Jesus, he just wants us to be honest with him. Martha and Mary were real with Jesus and that led to real life change in their hearts. I think we often feel like we have to put on our best face for God and our best face for our Christian friends. We think, I need to honor God and act like everything's okay. I need to hide my struggles. And I can't act like I'm mad or sad with God. I mean, like, I love you, Lord, my God, with all my heart, even though I'm broken inside and falling apart. But I love you, Jesus. We're like, Jesus could not handle knowing that I'm mad at him, okay? He's, I, he could never handle that. Jesus isn't big enough for my anger. Jesus could never know that I doubt him. That'll make me a bad Christian. Guess what? Jesus already knows. If he's God, he probably can read your mind, all right? But often you're like, I can't be mad at God. He knows you're mad at God. You can't control it, right? So if you're mad at God, if you've doubted God, if something bad has happened in your life and you thought, why, God, would you allow this? Just be honest with him. You don't have to act like you have it all together with God. He's God. He's big enough. He can handle your anger. He's not like a people pleaser like the rest of us. We're like, dang it, someone's mad at me. No, he's like, it's okay. I love you. As Christians, we often think that if we're mad at God, something is wrong with us. Like we can't express them. But Jesus is saying, let's just have a conversation. Let's talk. The Psalms, is a, it's a book in the Old Testament, and it serves as our guide to how to pray or how to talk to God. Let's read a few. Psalm 10 says this, why, Lord, are you so far away? Why do you hide from me? Psalm 22, Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 13, how long, God, will you forget me forever? Psalm 35, how long, God? Psalm 79, how long, God, Psalm 89, how long, God? It's almost like the psalmists are trying to teach us that it's okay to be honest with God. If the book of prayers teaches us to yell at God, how long, God, you can tell God when your feelings are hurt. I think we get the point. We can be honest with God. God can handle it. And this, this is the key to real spiritual formation. If you want your life to start to look more like Jesus, if you want to live into the resurrection life, it starts with you being honest about where you're at right now. If you act like to God, that you've got it all together, then he can't start forming you into who he wants you to be. Because that would be the fake version of you and you can't form the fake version of you. That's gonna form an even faker version of you. He needs to form the real you. And this continues on. It's not just about a relationship with God. I think we often think that we can't tell our Christian friends we're struggling. Like if you're in a small group, maybe you're like, I could never tell them that I've doubted God before, then they would judge me. They've probably doubted God too, right? We don't have to put on a mask for our Christian friends. Here's my prayer. My prayer is that Chi Alpha is a place, and our Chi Alpha small groups are a place where you can be your authentic self, that you never have to perform for people here. Chi Alpha will never be a place of judgment. We will be a place of formation, And formation starts with authenticity. Martha and Mary are super real with Jesus in a time period where this would have been unheard of. Woman acting like this towards men, special religious teacher was a big no no, right? But Jesus just needs them each where they're at. Jesus responds to both Martha and Mary very differently from each other, actually. And this shows us not only that Jesus has extreme relational wisdom. Jesus in this story is actually giving us a little peek into the heart of God. See, Jesus is a God of truth and tears. What Martha needed most at her moment of weakness and brokenness was truth. So Martha came to Jesus kind of spiraling. She was out of control, and I imagine Jesus like grabbing her shoulders and shaking her a little bit, saying, Martha, it's gonna be all right. I am the resurrection and the life It's all gonna be okay, do not despair. I'm God, remember, I'm in charge, you're all right. He's like shaking her back into reality. She needed a wake-up call. Martha needed a reality check on who she was talking to. She's talking to the God of the universe, and he's in charge. In our culture, we often need a reality check on who Jesus is. So much information is thrown at us. We're told, believe your truth. You define reality, just do what feels right. It's all good, you do you, right? We're told this, that we get to pick reality, we get to pick truth. And what our culture sometimes needs is a little bit of shake and say, no, 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 no. We need Jesus to shake us and say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. We need Jesus to shake us a little bit and say, I define truth. I am the only way. I am the author of life. I get to define what is real and not real. Not culture, not society, not TikTok. Jesus is the author of truth, and if that is true, Jesus says what goes. If Jesus did what he said he did, And he rose from the grave, he gets to pick what's right and wrong. And see, there's this fact that Jesus' disciples, all but one of them, went on to die for him. They went on to die for Jesus. Every disciple went to their grave proclaiming that Jesus was the Son of God raised from the dead. This small group of a few men went on to bring the Roman Empire, the greatest empire in history, to its knees. This small group became the world's largest movement of people. There is more historical evidence for the reality that Jesus rose from the grave than there is that Julius Caesar ever existed. Just to give you some points. So if Jesus rose from the grave like history points to, he gets to pick what's right and wrong. He defines truth because he's a God of truth. And sometimes it's what we need is a little bit of truth. Shake us a little bit and say, hey, that's not the way. At least I need that sometimes, right? Sometimes I go off my own tangent, just like, no, I can't be mad at people. She's like, no, you can't. It's okay though, I love you. But other times, we need tears. This is how Jesus meets Mary Mary comes to him sobbing. And when Mary is sobbing, Jesus doesn't stand over her and say, dang right, you better cry. No. And Jesus also doesn't stand over her and say, it's all gonna be okay. Don't you have hope in the resurrection? Life will be fine. No, Jesus was fully God, fully man. He was not a robot speaking truth. He's a God of tears. Jesus isn't numb or cynical towards humanity. Jesus isn't numb or cynical towards you. When you or I screw up, or when things bad happen to us, or when we're struggling, Jesus isn't standing over you when you sin, saying, You're getting what you deserve. You do the crime, you do the time. Jesus is not doing that to us. When our life isn't going the way we want it to, the way Jesus responds to us is the same way that he responded to Mary. And it says in John eleven thirty five, 35, the way he responded to Mary was Jesus wept. When you're weeping over the brokenness around you, Jesus isn't telling you that's what you deserve. No, he's weeping with you. And I think we can read a verse like this and gloss over it, but this should mess with us. The God of the universe, the author of everything, wept. Recognize that in this moment, Jesus knew that Lazarus was going to rise from the dead. So Jesus could have seen Mary crying and kind of like smirked and got a little giddy like, ha, oh, you just wait. I'm about to rock your world, right? It's like when a parent, like a kid's crying because they haven't got the Christmas present they want, but the parent knows the Christmas present is in the back room and they're about to bring it out and blow their kid's mind. Your parents never did that. My parents did that. They like to play tricks on me, like, ha the gift you want, it's back there. You'll get it in a day. But, anyways, that may not been your parents. Maybe they're holier than mine, but they like to have fun. So, Jesus could have reacted like this and be like, ah, it's going to be good, but he doesn't do that. Even with the knowledge that Lazarus was going to rise from the dead, Jesus weeps. When you are sad, even though Jesus knows the future's going to be okay, even though Jesus knows he's the victor, he weeps with you because he loves you. This reminds me of my most recent trip to Outback Steakhouse. Very weird transition. <laughs> Hold on, come with me. Last, I knew, that When I wrote that, I'm like, that's not going to be smooth at all, but it's fine. Uh, last October... Tate's dying up here. Anyway, last October, Pastor Victor, myself, and my older brother, Pastor Daniel, who leads Scent Church, we went to Portland, Oregon for a conference. And long story short, my brother wanted to use this week away to help Victor and I grow in, and that's something we desperately need. We need to be challenged and pushed. So we're out at Outback, and Daniel's kind of challenging us. He's not being mean, but he's like pointing out, hey, here's some things that you could do to really grow. We can make Chi Alpha better. He's just helping us become better men of God. And Daniel has done that a lot. He's my older brother, he's my pastor, so that's kind of his job is to help me grow. But for some reason, at this specific dinner, I was not having it. I was visibly upset. The last thing I wanted in that moment was truth. And Daniel's really confused. I was like, why are you reacting this way? This is really weird. So eventually I tell Daniel that Taylor and I, who had been trying to get pregnant for like a year at that point in time, that Taylor back home found out that morning she wasn't pregnant again. And so I was having a rough day. I don't want to hear any truth right now. And in that moment, the weirdest thing happened. Daniel started weeping. He like started bawling in the middle of an outback. It was really embarrassing, to be honest. (laughs) He's sobbing in the middle. of. He's like, the the ugly gross cry Mary did, he was a little bit worse. It was like the snot was getting in the chicken fingers. (laughs) Victor later said that all he could smell was ketchup, onions, and tears. So (laughs) Daniel was weeping with me. When he thought that's what I needed, see, in that moment, although I, I'll be honest, like because I, I care a lot about my surroundings, this is really weird. But in that moment, I saw a glimpse of the love of Jesus. Because see, Taylor and I not being pregnant doesn't ultimately impact Daniel's life, right? He still goes on with his day, but he hurt because I was hurting. Simply because he loved me, he wept in an back. <laughs> He was giving me truth, but then he immediately shifted to tears when that's what I needed. Just like Jesus. Jesus loves us. Jesus hurts for us, and he's so perfect that he can respond to us perfectly with what we need in a moment. And this is the essence of spiritual formation. Spiritual formation is this perfect blend of truth and love. Truth and love. Reality and grace. Truth Love blended together is how we live a resurrection life today. See, Jesus in this combination inside of him is what makes him so unique. Jesus is tender without ever being weak. Jesus is strong without ever being harsh. Jesus is humble without lacking confidence. Jesus is the holiest of holy, but also the most approachable person in all of history. There's an article said that, that said this. It was this combination that made Jesus so winsome and compelling. Because truth and grace were in it inextricably intertwined Jesus could thunder a prophetic word and then be invited to an evening cake party by the very same people he had confronted earlier in the day. So Jesus would be like raining down truth, telling people they need to repent or they're going to perish, and then they would hear that and be like, "Hey, you want to come party with us after this?" What the heck? The very same people that he was rebuking invited him to go and party afterwards. He would challenge people, then he'd be like, "It's all right, let's go cry together at the local outback. It's going to be great. We'll have some onion rings." This is because Jesus brings people the truth in love that we desperately crave. We don't want to be told everything we're doing is good because look around. Clearly the world around us is a little messed up. I don't know about you, but I want something greater in my life than famine, sickness, disunity, political tension, all the fighting, all the things in our world. I don't want that to be the best there is. If this world is the best we can hope for, if this world is the the pinnacle of life, then I'm out because I don't want this. I want something so much greater. I want to be brought to that future reality that Jesus promises us and that God described in the Garden of Eden where everything is set right. That's eternity. I want to go back to the future. If this is all there is and there's no way to grow or get better, then what are we doing? We have to hope for something greater than this. And this is why we do Kai Alpha the way we do. I know sometimes, maybe it seems a little intense. Like you came here the very first week of the semester, and you're like, yo, I just got here, and you're telling me I need to not seek happiness from the world, but instead be with Jesus. And like, I can't roll around with pigs? Like, what does that mean? Why do you call me a pig? Don't do that. Like, I'm just looking for more Chick-fil-A. Don't tell me how to be more like Jesus. I get it. I know this can be a lot, right? I know that sometimes it can seem intense. Just wait until February. We're gonna talk about dating. It's gonna be awkward for all of us, but I'm really, actually, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's fun, but... So the reason that we believe so much in preaching the truth of Jesus all comes from a place of love. Kai Alpha will always be a place where we are called higher. We are called to be more like Jesus every day. We will not back down from the truth. We will not settle for less than Jesus' is best. But at the very same time, Kai Alpha is going to be a place where we cry with each other. This will never be a place of judgment or superiority. I pray that Kai Alpha is a place full of so much love and tears for each other, that we love each other right where we're at, But we also don't let each other stay that way. Because we're on a mission, right? To be little disciples, little Jesuses who help make little Jesuses who help make little Jesuses. We're all about spiritual formation around here. Discipleship, resurrection life. We don't wait till the future to live the life God has asked us to live, we want it right now. We want to go on a journey of a lifetime of being more like Jesus and living the way he designed us to live. So if you want to go on this journey of a lifetime of becoming more like Jesus, if you're like, I want to be a disciple of God, I want to experience spiritual formation, I want a resurrection life now, a few very practical tips. 1st said it 100 times, join a small group. Small group is the best place for you to be discipled, to be more like Jesus. In small group, you'll have brothers and sisters growing you closer to Jesus. Small group is the best thing we've got in Alpha, I promise you. Get in small group and watch your life be completely changed. Also, I think they're a lot of fun, depending on which one you're going to. Some of them are a little bit more fun. But anyways, that's a joke. They're all fun. Another great way to start this process of spiritual formation is to do the discipleship training class. Give four weeks to center on being more like Jesus, to learn what it looks like to be formed. This is a launching pad into spiritual formation and is seeing resurrection life become your reality. That's why we teach all this, because we want resurrection life now. We don't want something from you. I want something for you. However, none of this at all that I just taught you on matters at all if we miss one crucial point. We have to answer this question. Why was Jesus crying? Like we said, Jesus knew that Lazarus was gonna rise from the dead. But it says that as Jesus approached Lazarus' grave, he was deeply moved. John eleven thirty eight. 38. It says, then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. As Jesus approached the grave of someone he was going to raise from the dead, he was deeply moved. Remember, the New Testament was written in Greek. This term, deeply moved, actually derives from a Greek word that doesn't really mean to be deeply moved. It's it's kind of a wrong translation, to be honest. It actually means to bellow with anger. So what it really should say is, then Jesus, bellowing with anger came to the tomb. Jesus isn't moved. He's furious. When Jesus approaches the grave of Lazarus, he is raging with anger. Why? Why is Jesus so mad? He knows the outcome. He knows what he's about to do. Jesus isn't raging about Lazarus's specific situation. He knows that's going to work out all right. No, when Jesus approaches this grave of Lazarus, he's raging against death. He's approaching his friend in the tomb and he's furious that evil and suffering seems to be our reality, that it seems that death has the final word and that ticks Jesus off. So Jesus approaches this tomb with a choice. He says, am I going to overcome death and raise Lazarus from the dead or not? This seems simple, right? But Jesus knew that if he raised Lazarus from the dead, this would actually start him down the trajectory that leads him to the cross. This is the act that metaphorically puts the nails in his hands on the cross because this is the act that pushes his enemies over the line to go and pursue him to kill him. See, Jesus knew as he approached the grave that the only way to get Lazarus out of the grave was for him to step into the grave. The only way Jesus could stop Lazarus's funeral was to initiate his own. So this is why when Jesus saw Mary weeping or when Jesus approached the tomb, he wasn't smiling, smirking, and giddy that he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. No, he's shaking with anger and tears are rolling down his cheek because he felt the jaws of death closing in on him. But the full knowledge of what it was gonna cost Jesus, he still goes up to Lazarus and says, Lazarus, come out. He knew what that was going to cost him, but it was worth it. We have to realize that in this story, we are Lazarus. Jesus sees us in a potential grave because our sin, our lack of being like Jesus, means that we should have to pay a penalty because God is perfect and our imperfection should create a gap. Remember, Jesus is life. So if there's a gap between us and Jesus, that means there's a gap between us and life. And the absence of life is death. So our imperfection, our sins and our flaws should lead us to the grave. It should lead us to death. But as Jesus sees us in that grave, he looks at you and I and he says, get up and come on out. And as we walk out, he is walking right in to take our place. And that is the way we can have resurrection life right now. Jesus wants to bring us back to the future of hope and eternity, the future that he created when he died on the cross. Our main idea tonight is the journey of a lifetime brings us back to the future. These four weeks has all been leading to this, the journey of a lifetime. Life is a journey with God. Life with God is not a one-time moment. It's not about an experience. It's not about Tuesday nights. No, life with God is a journey where over time we are slowly formed to be more like Jesus and to live into that future hope now. Everything we've done this first month has been pointing to this moment where we have to realize that we can start our year and say, I'm just going to live moment to moment or I can commit to the journey of a lifetime, the journey of being slowly formed in the image of God. We have to recognize our job as Jesus followers is not to get out of hell. Our job as Jesus followers is to make our earth as much like heaven as possible. Our job as Jesus followers is to become more like Jesus every single day. And we will settle for nothing less than that. So maybe you're here tonight And if you're honest with yourself, you haven't started this journey at all. Maybe you haven't given your life to Jesus. Maybe you've been coming the first couple weeks and you're interested in God, but you haven't dove in with God. Maybe this is your first time here tonight and maybe you grew up following Jesus, but then you ran away, came to college expecting something else and to do whatever you want. But now you're here met with this reality that there is a God who loves you and stands in your grave and all he asks of you in return is to commit your life to him. To say, Jesus, you get to be the author of my life. You want... Forgiveness, right? You want hope. And the only way to have it is in Jesus. So no matter what you've done, you are not too far from God. Jesus wants to cover your sins, but he's asking you, will you turn around and look at him tonight and say, you are my Lord. Give him your present so he can give you a future. Maybe you're here tonight and you've been following Jesus and you're, you're a Christian, but you haven't actually started this process of spiritual formation. You look at your life when you started following God And you look at your life now, and you don't see much difference between the two. Like, yeah, I love Jesus, but that has not really changed anything about my life. You're missing the good stuff. Jesus is way more fun than just get out of hell free card. Jesus has resurrection life for you now. You don't have to wait for life with God. You can have it right now. Jesus has so much for you. He's asking you to step into this resurrection life today. What that looks like, though, is you committing that you're going to start a journey of being formed to be like Jesus, to being a disciple of Jesus. We care about raising up disciples, not just Christians. But as we step into this, as we go back to the future, as we commit our lives to spiritual formation, nothing will ever look the same. We'll start to look more like Jesus every day. And then Jesus is gonna start using us to help other people look more like Jesus every day. We'll be a disciple who then starts making disciples, who then starts making disciples, who then starts making disciples until 10,000 students of you and I are on their knees worshiping King Jesus. Remember my first question we started. Gen Z, you wanna change the world, right? You wanna know how to change the world? Make disciples, make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples and that will turn our world upside down, I promise. you. But that all starts with you becoming a disciple of Jesus yourself. I think God is gonna use this generation to change the world. I believe that God wants to do what's called a revival or when a ton of people come back to him. I believe our culture is set up for a time for Jesus to just ignite the church with his flame. But what he's looking for is hungry people who are willing to say, my life is going to count right now. My life's not gonna be about a get out of hell free card. My life's gonna be about changing my world to look like Jesus so I can change other worlds to have hope through Jesus. Jesus wants to use you in your time in college to accomplish his mission. Will you let him? Will you go on a journey of a lifetime with God? See, this generation is begging. We want to change the world. This is how we do it. We commit to being a disciple who makes disciples. And that process, and only that process, will lead you to the journey of a lifetime. Will you all stand with me? If you're here tonight, and you haven't started this journey of life with Jesus, and you wanna change that, I wanna give you an opportunity to do that. So if everyone would close your eyes, bow your heads, so no one's looking around. What we like to do at Chi Alpha is we want you to do something physical to show what's happening internally. So if you wanna commit your life to following Jesus, I'm gonna to count to three, and on the count of three, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand as a sign to God that you are going all in with him, and so we can know who I'm praying with. So that's you, and you wanna give your life to Jesus, or maybe return back to Jesus, On the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three. Thank you. Tons of hands going up all across. Come on. Let's pray. I'm going to pray for you. Jesus, thank you for your grace, God. Jesus, thank you for your goodness. Jesus, thank you for stepping into the grave for us, God. I pray that the students who just raised their hands, that this will not be a one time Tuesday night experience, but their life will be forever changed, God. That you're going to start a process of students falling in love with you, God. Thank you for covering our sins. Amen. Amen. I want to give us a second way to respond. So if you're here and you've been following Jesus, but you haven't started that process, that journey of a lifetime of spiritual formation, becoming like Jesus, I just want you to put your hands like this right now. Just put your hands out in front of you as an act of receiving something from God. So do that right now. If you want to start this process of spiritual formation, put your hands in front of you. And I'm going to pray over us as we do this. I'm going to pray, Jesus, download spiritual formation into our lives. Download your truth to us. So let's pray. And as I pray, I challenge you to pray to Jesus as well. Talk to God on your own. Jesus, we love you. God, thank you. God, thank you for being a a God who doesn't just leave us where we're at, Jesus, but who gets us out of the grave and then gives us a new way forward. God, I pray that Chi will be a place where we are committed to spiritual formation, where we are committed to being disciples who make disciples. I pray for every student right now who wants to go on this journey, that they can start that journey today and that when they get to the end of their life, they're gonna look back to this moment and say, that's when I started a journey of a lifetime. Thank you, God, for what you've done in my life. Jesus, help us be more like you every day. We love you so much. Amen and amen. We're gonna sing together one last song and let's worship Jesus with everything we've got. start our journey of a lifetime in a posture of praise. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.